Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. I am glad you joined us today uh, for another weekend of worship. I'm glad you're in in the, I can't speak, in person in the room, online with us right here. Sometimes you just got to pause and start your words over, you know. Um, I'm glad you're with us today. Uh, Last weekend, we started a brand new series called It's Complicated, talking about relationships. Our relationships, as you know, they are complicated, and they are broken, and they are confused, and they are hurting and painful. We know that about human relationships. We live in a broken world, and so, of course, things are broken. But I believe, and I believe Scripture teaches us, that if we can learn to live in the, the image of the one who created us, if we can learn to live as pure people, trustworthy people, connected people, and committed people, I believe that we can uncomplicate our relationships. We can see healing come and wholeness come to our families and our workplaces, our schools. It doesn't matter what type of relationship you're thinking of, that's the one we're talking about because they're all broken in the same exact way. Today, we're going to talk about being people who are trustworthy. Before we do, though, before we do, there's a couple of things you need to know about being trustworthy. The first one is this. Trust begins with you choosing to be trustworthy. Trust begins with you choosing to be trustworthy. Trust cannot be purchased. It cannot be found. It cannot be demanded. It cannot be made out of nothing. It begins with you choosing to be trustworthy. And the second thing you need to know, just to lay a little framework here, is that trustworthiness is proven when it's put to the test. In all of your relationships of any types, of any size, of any kind, your trustworthiness is proven when it's put to the test. We see this throughout Scripture, and we see it through our lives as well. Trust begins when you choose to be trustworthy. And your trustworthiness is proven when put to the test. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And then we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 39. We're going to talk today through the life of a man named Joseph. Four distinct moments in his life. And we're going to see that he was a person, a man, who knew that he was made in the image of a God who was trustworthy. And he was committed to being that no matter what happened and what came. Let's pray together and then we'll find that out together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us here into this room, into this moment, into this online time of worship here. Thank you for bringing us all together so that we can listen for you to speak. Father, I pray that as we're listening, that your spirit would speak to us, pointing to relationships in our life that need to be transformed. They need to be more trusting, more pure, more connected, and more committed. I pray, Father, you would help us to uncomplicate some things so that we could stop being worried about the drama of this world and begin to be more concerned with the mission of your kingdom. 
Father, I pray this morning would be beneficial and fruitful as we're in your presence. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about Joseph this morning. Four distinct moments in his life. Before we get to Genesis 39, though, I need to give you a little bit of backstory. If I don't give a little bit of context, then we jump in and we're confused. So with Joseph's story, first thing you need to know is he is born... He's born to a, a father that has a lot of other kids. And at the point we begin his story, he is the youngest son in his family. He has a bunch of older brothers. And we learn that Joseph's father favored him more than the other brothers. Joseph was the favorite. And now we know, you know, and I know, that when parents begin to actively choose favorites and treat some kids like they're favored over others, it never ends well. It always gets complicated and always gets hurtful. It never goes well. But that's exactly what's happening here. Joseph's father favors him over the other brothers, and Joseph's father gives Joseph responsibility and authority over the older brothers. He puts Joseph in charge of his older siblings. This seems like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? And one day it comes. The older brothers are out in the field working. And Joseph, of course, is back with his father because he's favored. He's wearing this special coat that his dad had made for him. And his father says, Joseph, go check on your brothers. And so Joseph went out to see the older brothers in the field so that he could check on their work and he could inform the father on who was doing what, how it was going. He got out there. His brothers had seen him coming from a distance away. And because they so despised and hated Joseph, they made a plan. Some of the brothers wanted to put Joseph to death. They wanted to kill their brother. But, but one of the brothers said, no, we can't kill him as our father loves him. And so instead of killing him, they stripped the coat of favor, the special coat off of Joseph, and they threw him into a dry well where Joseph remained for a bit until some people came by on their way to Egypt. And these people that came by, they were buying and selling slaves. And the brothers had an idea. If we just sell him as a slave, we can tell our father he's dead, and we're rid of our problem, and the blood's not on our hands. So they sold Joseph into slavery, and he was taken off to go to Egypt. And we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 39 at that moment. Joseph has been purchased by a man named Potiphar to serve in his house. And we're going to see in these four distinct moments in Joseph's life, we're going to see four distinct tests that our trustworthiness goes through. The first one, trustworthiness is tested by the trial of temptation. It's tested by the trial of temptation. We're going to see it in Joseph's life right here in Potiphar's house. Look at Genesis 39 verse 6 with me. So Potiphar, that's the master, that's the, the guy who had purchased Joseph to serve in his household. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Now, Joseph, this is odd that Joseph is a slave here, been purchased to serve in the home of Potiphar. Now, now, as a side note, of course, we know slavery is a horrible thing, but it went on back in Egypt here. And so he's been purchased and he serves in Potiphar's home. But Potiphar, who had purchased Joseph, had begun to trust Joseph so much that he didn't concern himself with anything 
that Joseph had charge over. See, Joseph knew that he was created in the image of a God who's trustworthy. And he knew that no matter what, he was going to be trustworthy. So he'd earned the trust of Potiphar. We keep reading. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. And she says, come to bed with me. But he refused. Joseph says, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Joseph was a person who's so chosen to be trustworthy as his father was trustworthy, as God is trustworthy, that he didn't just refuse to go to bed with her, he refused to be around her. And when she would enter a room, he would go to the other room. She would come into the kitchen and he would go to the family room. And she would walk into the yard and he would go into the house. And wherever she went, he would not be. Because he knew... God's principle and his wisdom that whenever temptation comes, we don't play around with, we don't toy around with temptation. Instead, we turn and we run away from it. When you're tempted by the enemy, we run from temptation. Joseph knew this. He refused to even be around her. But one day, Joseph went to the house to attend to his duties. And none of the other servants were there. So, Potiphar's wife caught him by his cloak and says, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand. He ran out of the house to get away. He fled from her yet again. Joseph was tempted. It would have been easy for Joseph to give in a temptation. It would have been so simple. He could have justified it in so many ways. That's what happens when we're tempted, right? We justify temptation. He could have justified in so many ways. Well, he could have said, I've been so mistreated by my brothers. I've been so mistreated by slave traders. I've been so mistreated and gotten such a raw deal in life. I deserve to have a little bit of fun. He could have justified it. He could have justified it saying, my life is so hard. And it's so difficult, and I hate everything about what's going on in my life, that I might as well grab a hold of whatever little perk that comes my way. He could have justified in so many ways. It would have been easier, in fact, for Joseph to justify it than to refuse and to reject the temptation. But Joseph didn't do that, because Joseph was committed to being a person who is trustworthy. Trustworthy to God, to Potiphar, to Potiphar's wife even, and to himself. He was committed to it. Church, if we're going to learn something from Joseph right here, in the first test of his trustworthiness, it is that no matter, no matter how good the temptation looks, no matter how sweet it might appear, we run from temptation. Be trustworthy no matter what temptation comes our way. And so Joseph now, when he rejects the temptation and he chooses to remain trustworthy, he's going to now be thrown into prison because Potiphar's wife is going to spin a story to her husband of how Joseph assaulted her. He's thrown into prison. 
where he's going to spend quite a bit of time. And we come to the second test. Trustworthiness is tested by the depths of disappointment. It's tested by the depths of our disappointment and of our frustration and of our hurt. We read it here when Joseph is in prison. It says Joseph's master, of verse uh, 20 of chapter 39, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The, the prison where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in all that he did. It reminds me, It reminds me of what happened in Potiphar's house. Potiphar purchased Joseph to be a servant, and then Potiphar didn't worry about anything under Joseph's care except for the food that Potiphar himself ate. And now Joseph ends up in prison where he could have been wallowing in disappointment. He could have been wallowing in his despair and his sadness, feeling woe is me and everything that he does. But instead of doing that, Because he knew he was created in the image of a God who was trustworthy, and that is who he was made to be. Instead, he proved himself trustworthy to the point that the warden, much like Potiphar, pays no attention to anything under Joseph's care. He proved himself trustworthy no matter what. It would have been easier for Joseph to give up to get thrown into prison, go into the corner, curl up in a little ball, and think about all the problems in his life. Why did my brothers hate me? Why did my father not set me up for success? Why did those people drag me off to Egypt? Why was I sold into slavery? Why why was I thrown in prison even though I did the right thing? How did I get here? Where is God? Does God even care anymore? Does he even hear me anymore? He could have curled up in a ball and just given up. It would have been easier for Joseph to reject anyone and everyone around him. He could have gone in the corner of that prison cell, curled up in a ball, and been angry and reject everybody else, the prison warden, the other prisoners. He could have pushed everybody away, and he could have become defined by his disappointment. But Joseph did not do that. He was committed to being a trustworthy person to God, to the warden, to the prisoners, to himself. And because of that, Joseph was given authority. Now, while Joseph's in prison, if I can compact the length of the time that he's in there, While he's in prison, there's two prisoners that used to work for the king of Egypt. The the king's title was Pharaoh. He worked for the king of Egypt. And these two prisoners had these crazy dreams. And God's spirit gave Joseph the wisdom and the ability to interpret these dreams. And he told these prisoners what their dreams meant. And because of that, word got back to the king of Egypt that there was a man in prison named Joseph who had wisdom from God to interpret dreams. And so the king of Egypt himself, when he had a dream that he didn't understand, he sent for Joseph to come and interpret that dream. And Joseph came, and God's wisdom and his spirit helped him to interpret that dream to the king. And now, Joseph, who was first hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, now Joseph is going to be elevated to a place of authority in the nation of Egypt. 
to stand right next to the king, he's going to go from the lowest of low to the very top, the very heights of success in Egypt. And we learn, number three, that trustworthiness is tested by the heights of success that we go through. It's tested by the heights of success. If I can read this with you, in Genesis chapter 41, we read right here in verse 39 that the Pharaoh, the king says to Joseph, he says, since God, since God has made all of this known to you, that's the dream, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. There is no one in the palace in the nation of Egypt as wise and discerning as you. This man who began his journey in Egypt as a slave in shame with nothing to offer. The king now looks at him and says, there's no one in my entire nation as wise and discerning as good as, good as you. No one. The king says to him, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And so Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had, his, had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. And then the king of Egypt put Joseph in charge of the whole land of Egypt. It reminds me of what we read in Potiphar's house. Because Joseph knew he was creating the image of a God who was trustworthy. And he was committed to being trustworthy. Potiphar didn't worry about anything that Joseph had control of because he knew Joseph wasn't going to betray anything. It reminds me when we were in the prison, the warden who had met Joseph saw in his character that he was creating the image of a God who was trustworthy and he knew that Joseph would not betray things for his own designs and so he put him in charge and didn't worry about anything Joseph had control over. And now the king of Egypt sees the same thing in him and he elevates him to second in command of the whole nation, puts him in charge of everything out there. Everything. Because Joseph was a trustworthy person. You know, success has a way of changing people, but not Joseph. Success changes people. We've all seen it. Someone starts off humbly trying to get something done, to get ahead just a little bit, to figure some things out, working hard, getting up early, staying up late, getting things produced. We start off humbly, but then you have a little bit of success, and then you step into a little, little higher level of responsibility and authority. Now you have some people that work for you and around you, and what feels pretty good, you gain momentum because you, you get a little bit more and you get a little more success and then you step into a higher level of authority and responsibility. And before we know it, somebody that started off humbly now has begun to buy into their own hype because now look at me and the status and the position that I've achieved and look at who I am. And if we're not careful when we have a little bit of success... We can begin to look down on all the other people in our relationships like they're not as good as us and they just serve us 
and they need to do whatever we say, and we look down on them, and we begin to feel like I can just walk into the room, say whatever I want, and people will obey me immediately, and if they don't, I can yell at them because I am me. We see this all the time. Success changes people. It changes us. in complicated, broken ways. We see it in the Gospels, too. We see Jesus calling disciples to come follow him. He calls 12 young men to follow him. They will be the the ones that will launch the kingdom movement that is the church that we're a part of right now. He calls 12 young men. Four of them happen to be fishermen. Simon, who we know is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Four of them are fishermen. Now, as a fisherman, they might not have gone to high levels of formal education, and they worked hard, and they had rough hands, and they had these blue-collar, lowly, humble jobs. And Jesus calls them, and they follow. And they begin to see miracles happen and healings happen. They begin to see great crowds and huge sermons and big moments. And they spend time with Jesus, who they begin to believe is the Messiah, the Son of God that was promised to the people of God since basically the beginning of time. And they've waited for this. And two of these fishermen, James and John, They had a humble beginning, began to follow Jesus, began to get a bigger head because they were a part of this Jesus movement. They began to feel pretty good about themselves and the things they could do and the things they were a part of and all the things that were happening. And and then there's one day, James and John and their mom, James, John, and their mother come to Jesus and have the audacity to look Jesus in the eye and say, when you come into your kingdom, let James and John sit at the right and the left hand of you. If I were to paraphrase that, what they're asking is these two guys that were humble fishermen, when you come into your kingdom, let these two men that began as humble fishermen that have tasted a little bit of success, please let these two men now become the two most powerful human beings in all of the universe. Success has a way of changing us. The other disciples heard all this and they became indignant. Maybe because they didn't think of it first. They were indignant. Success has a way of changing us. And it complicates and breaks and ruins our relationships. It ends our trust. But not Joseph. Joseph was committed. He knew he was created in the image of a trustworthy God, and he was committed to being trustworthy no matter what. To God, to the king, to the people of Egypt, and to himself. He was committed to being trustworthy. And some time goes by, as as Joseph's in charge now, second in command of all of Egypt, he begins to put a plan into place and steps into action where there's this famine coming. There'll be a seven-year famine, and they're going to store all this food up so that the whole world will be rescued through the plan that God enacts through Joseph to save the world with food. And they get a couple years into this famine, and all of a sudden, some men come into the nation of Egypt looking for food. And these men happen to be 
the brothers that has sold Joseph into slavery. And Joseph, of course, hears about it. He knows his brothers have come into town now ready to uh, get some food and things, but they don't know anything about Joseph. Joseph's a, a long avoided memory now at this point. And Joseph is going to face the fourth and final test of his trustworthiness. Because trustworthiness is tested by the possibility of payback. The possibility of payback. Let me read to you what happens here. It's in Genesis 45, verse 1. This is what happens when Joseph brings, through a series of events, he brings his brothers into his presence. He's going to reveal himself to them and have a conversation with them. And this is what happens. Joseph then, when he's in the presence of his brothers, he could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one there when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, he says to his brothers, he says, I am Joseph. Now for these brothers, these brothers that had been present out there in the, the field, out there in the plain, the day that Joseph had come out and they had sold him into slavery, the day they had ripped the coat of favor off of him and they would thrown him into this dry well, the day that they changed his life forever. These brothers, when they see the second in command, the person who was more powerful than anybody else but the king, and the king looks, or the guy looks at him and says, I am Joseph. Pretty sure you could hear a pin drop in that room. Pretty sure the brothers didn't expect this. I am Joseph. And in the beat that happens right here, in the pause that happens right in this moment, the brothers have no clue what to expect. No clue. But Joseph's next words reveal his heart. He says, is my father still living? Is my father still living? And I can almost hear in those words, I can almost sense the, the tone that they're said with, I am Joseph. Is, is my father still alive? And Joseph, in this moment, he's not looking for revenge. He's not looking for destruction. He has compassion and a longing for his father, for his family. Is my father still alive? But the brothers, you know when you've done something, not been caught, not confessed it, not repented of it, not paid for it, and then it's gone on for a long time, and then you come face to face with the reality of what you did years, a decade or so before, you know that moment that you don't know what to expect. I don't know what's about to happen. And it says his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. This is a little bit different than the other three occasions. Uh, the first one, Potiphar doesn't concern himself with anything that Joseph has control of. The, the second one, the warden, doesn't concern himself with anything that Joseph has control of. The, the third one, the king, doesn't concern himself with anything 
that Joseph has control of. Because they saw Joseph and learned to trust him. But the brothers right here, the brothers right now, they're trying to figure out, can we trust him? What's he going to do to us? What's going to happen next? Is he trustworthy? So then Joseph says to his brothers, he begins to speak, says, he says to his brothers, come, come close to me. Come, come on close to me. And when they had done so, when they got close to him, he says, I'm your brother Joseph. I'm the one that you sold into Egypt. And he begins to explain to him. And so he explained, he says, now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You see, I think Joseph, for all the time now that he's been in Egypt as a slave, as a prisoner, as someone who found success now, I think all this time he's not been thinking about all the pain in his life. He's not been thinking about all the disappointments in his life. He's not been thinking about all the pride that he could be experiencing in his life. I think he's been thinking about God's will and God's mission in his life. And Joseph says, for two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there'll be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph, he could have gotten some sweet revenge. No one in Egypt would have questioned Joseph. If he had decided to have his brothers thrown into prison, sold into slavery, beaten and put to death, no one in Egypt would have questioned Joseph. No one back home at his father's household would ever have known what Joseph chose to do. Joseph could have gotten some sweet revenge, and he could have gotten off scot-free. But Joseph knew that he was created in the image of a trustworthy God. And he was created to live as a trustworthy person. And Joseph was committed to being trustworthy to God, to his brothers, to his father, and to himself. And so instead of getting sweet revenge, he has his family come and live in a safe place. And he rescues them. See, Joseph knew that he was created in the image of a trustworthy God. And he was committed to being trustworthy no matter what. It doesn't matter what you face, church, family, whatever you face. If it's temptation, if it's disappointment, if it's success, if it's the possibility of payback, it doesn't matter what you're facing. It does not matter. If you abandon the image of a trustworthy God that was imprinted on you when you were made, if you abandon that and you live based on what you want, your plans, your will, and your things, you will fall to temptation, you will wallow in disappointment, you will, you will get a big head and you will fall victim to success and you will fall into payback and revenge and lose track of who you even are. But you were created in the image of a trustworthy God. And as we read Joseph's story, as we read about Joseph's life, 
what we learn and what we can apply to our lives is the call of that trustworthy God for us to choose to be trustworthy and let our trustworthiness be put to the test and be proven true. I want to share one more verse with you. I want to read it to you. It's in Proverbs chapter 18. In Proverbs chapter 18, I want to just read this to you. The writer of Proverbs in this book of wisdom, he says, one who has unreliable friends. And I I wrote in the margins of this Bible right here, I just read above unreliable friends. I wrote untrustworthy, not trustworthy. One who has untrustworthy friends soon comes to ruin. If we live in complicated relationships that lack trust, that lack faithfulness, that lack love, that lack purity and being connected and being committed, if we live in complicated relationships, then we will soon come to ruin. But, the writer says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is one. There is one that shows us how to live as trustworthy people. And that one is named Jesus, the one who left heaven and came to earth. He came from heaven to earth to go hang on a cross and to die as a sacrifice for all the sin in your life and in my life and all of our lives. To die as a sacrifice, his body broken, his blood shed, to be buried in a tomb and to resurrect three days later to show us victory over death, to give us victory over death. But he didn't come just to die on a cross. He also came to model for us how to be trustworthy. Jesus was trustworthy when he was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus was trustworthy when his Followers disappointed him. People abandoned him and betrayed him. Jesus was trustworthy in his success. The crowds got larger. He never fell victim to the pride of the crowd. And Jesus was trustworthy when he faced the possibility of payback, I have to believe that Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, when he hung on the cross, I have to believe that that fully human side of him thought, I could take care of this right now because I literally have all the angels at my disposal. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, when someone challenged him to call angels to take him off the cross, he rejected the very notion. He would not get payback because he had a mission. And the will of the Father would be done in his life and through his life. I want to encourage you today to surrender your life to the one who is more trustworthy than any other that's ever walked this planet. I want to encourage you today to surrender your life to the one who is trustworthy enough to leave heaven and come to earth to rescue you. 
who loved you unfailingly, unwaveringly. There will never be a time that that Jesus will not choose to be trustworthy to you. There will never be a time that he will choose to abandon you or to leave you, forget you, or ignore you. There will never be a time that you'll be on your own. Never. Because as the Word of God tells us, the Holy Spirit tells us, one who has untrustworthy, unreliable friends comes to ruin. But there is one. There is one who sticks closer than a brother. Today I want to invite you to surrender your life to that Jesus. If you've never followed Jesus, I want to invite you to surrender that life to Jesus, your life to Jesus right now. The way we do it here in this church is we're baptized into water. We physically step into water and we're lowered into that water, symbolic of being buried in our sins and our impurities and our lack of trust. We're buried in our temptations and our thoughts of payback and our pride. And we're forgiven of all of that through the, the sacrifice of the one who is ultimately trustworthy, Jesus. And we come out of the water then to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. To walk in step with His Spirit. To live as one that has been made new. I want to invite you today to surrender your life to Jesus. If you're in the room and a minute we sing, you can go to the next steps table in the lobby and talk and pray with somebody there about taking that next step of following Jesus. If you're online, you can message right now. There is somebody watching right now that will help you take that next step in following Jesus. That's what we want. And for all of us that are following Jesus, I challenge you today to consider your relationships and whichever relationship in your life, a marriage, a family, a workplace, school, whatever it is, I challenge you to surrender that specific relationship and to ask the Holy Spirit to help you become more trustworthy so you choose to be trustworthy like the God whose image you were created in. I'm going to pray for you. Then we'll stand and sing as we respond to what Jesus is saying here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every word you've ever spoken to us. I thank you, Father, for everything you've ever done in our lives. I thank you that you sent your Son, who is trustworthy beyond any other, to never give up on us, never to fail us, to go to be the sacrifice on the cross for us, and then a victor out of the tomb for us. I pray, Father, you would let us be remade in your image again, that we would live and look like you so that people, when they look at us and they're asking the question, can I trust them? They would see that it is always, ever, yes, because we are committed to living like the one we are created in the image of. Father, I pray that our relationships will be uncomplicated because we choose to live like you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps in following Jesus, please email me at keenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.